0: Well, good morning and Happy New Year. Please open your scriptures to Luke 22. Luke chapter 22 is a narrative of the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, And what we find in this chapter, interestingly, is that everybody around Jesus, for the most part, rejects him. And here's the big idea. Jesus was rejected, so you don't have to be. Have you ever felt the shame and pain of rejection? I mean, just kind of run a timeline in your life. Have you ever felt the shame and pain of being rejected? Most of us have. It's not something that you're like, oh, I hope that happens often in my life. Uh, we, and the reason is we've been created with a longing to belong. That's really our default settings That God has created us with. Therefore, bullying, shunning, slander, excommunication, betrayal, abandonment and a thousand other forms can be classified as rejection. Some people are nervous to meet new people because they wonder, will they like me? Will they accept me? And that is unknown. So it creates the possibility of rejection. New friends, tryouts for a team, peer relationships, all introduce the possibility of rejection. The sting of rejection is so painful because we long to be long. What if your life did not just hold the possibility for a few episodes of rejection, but it was deliberately designed to feature and highlight a life of wholesale rejection? And do you know that's what we have in the life of Jesus Christ? His life was designed to feature rejection. And he willingly moved into that so that you do not have to be rejected. Here's the good news. Jesus willingly accepted rejection and shame so that sinners who place their faith in him can find full pardon and full acceptance. That is good news for a new year. Isaiah's prophecy uh, includes four what they call servant songs. The word servant there refers to the Messiah, so the coming Messiah. There are four songs in the book of Isaiah that refer to the coming Messiah. The fourth and final song, the one we're most familiar with, starts in Isaiah 52 and goes all the way to the end of Isaiah 53. It is a messianic prophecy, and this particular servant song is called the song of the suffering servant. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant, a reference to the coming Messiah, shall act wisely, meaning he will will find success in his mission. Then Isaiah says of this individual that's about to come, he was despised. And rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That indicates that part of the Messiah's suffering would be the rejection by his fellow peers. He is despised and rejected. His life would be marked by sorrow and emotional pain. The phrase Isaiah uses is, is acquainted with grief. He's very familiar. With grief and sorrow, it is like a best friend to him, not because he enjoys it any more than we would, but because he is so familiar with it. Isaiah continues in Isaiah 53, verse three, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This was true in Nazareth. Last Sunday, we considered the implications of Jesus going to the synagogue in Nazareth. Having the scroll of Isaiah handed to him and finding a place in this prophecy where he would read and then close up the scroll, hand it back to the attendant and say, today, this scripture, what we know as is Isaiah 61, has been fulfilled in your hearing. The response of the people was this fierce indignation. Let me go back to that. Luke four. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. It's interesting that the people attempt to do that because just prior to him going to Nazareth in the wilderness, Satan attempted to get Jesus to throw himself down from where? Somehow supernaturally, Satan brings Jesus to the top of the pinnacle in the city of Jerusalem. And he says, cast yourself down. And then he quotes a psalm. The devil said this. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus had nothing to prove to Satan. Jesus already knew both who his father was and who Satan was. But the scene in Nazareth at the cliff proves that Jesus did believe his father would protect him without having to wrongfully test him. Almost surprisingly, we read, after this angry mob pushes him to the precipice of the cliff, Luke records, but passing through their midst, he went away as if they couldn't touch him. And the fact is, they couldn't touch him. Eighteen chapters later, where I've had you turn in Luke chapter 22, we see events that transpire that happen in two different places. One, at the Mount of Olives, and secondly, at the the house of the high priest Caiaphas. We have four scenes of rejection, possibly five. I want to just list these to you. We have the rejection of a false disciple. We know his name. We have the rejection of a true disciple. We know his name as well. We have rejection by the Roman soldiers and we have rejection by Jewish religious leaders. If you go back to the scene in the garden where Jesus is praying to the Father, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And there's silence. That would be another form of rejection. Let's look at the first one. Luke 22, verse 47. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, there came a crowd This would have been at night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve. See, that's important for the other disciples to note. He was one of the original group. He was part of the team. Well, he came and he was leading this angry mob. He was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. Judas exploited closeness for his own profit. And Jesus said to him, verse 48, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? See, that question should have pierced Judas's heart, but it didn't. Judas is being rebuked by the son of God for using the sign of friendship and loyalty for an act of betrayal. Hypocrisy and unbelief are hard and brittle. Look at verse 49. And when those who were around him saw what would follow, these are the other disciples. By the way, if you read any of the history uh, of the intertestamental period with with with, you know, the Maccabees and the guerrilla warfare that happened and the insurgency and the hammer, you know, is a nickname for one of the, the lead warriors. You would understand that these disciples were not just fishermen, but they were trained and ready For war, they're already living in a country that has been taken over by a superior country. They said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? They were all anticipating that possibly the Messiah would go down and take over and and expunge Rome from their territory. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Of course, to no surprise, John records that that was Peter. But Jesus said, no more of this. Listen to what he, listen to what happens in verse 51. And he touched his ear and healed him. Now, maybe it's just me, but shouldn't at least that man, we're given his name in John 18, Malchus, have switched sides at that point? Like you have your ear removed and then this man that you're going to arrest miraculously places it back upon your head. Shouldn't he have at least said, Judas, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to switch over to this side. And yet he doesn't. Unbelief can be so stubborn that even when you're presented with the facts and you experience it, you can say willfully no. But Jesus responds lovingly. He heals Malchus even while being rejected by one of his own friends. I love how John records this in John 18. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Try to recreate the scene in your mind. Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am. And they drew back and fell to the ground. As if a force of divinity knocked them over. A proper response to divine revelation. They get back up. They, they, they sort of fix themselves and regather their weapons. And so he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. And he lets them take him. So Jesus willingly because no man could have arrested him or forced him to go anywhere jesus willingly because he said in john 10:18 no one takes my life from me but i lay it down of my own accord i have authority to lay it down and i have authority to take it up again jesus willingly accepted rejection and shame so that sinners who place their faith in him can find full pardon and full acceptance Perhaps we find comfort realizing that Judas was an imposter, right? We have very little in common with him. He's the poster child for treachery and betrayal. And so we encourage ourselves. But what if another man rejected him who was also of the twelve, but who also was a true believer? That's what we have next. Look at verse 54. And we arrive at a very familiar section of Peter's three denials or rejections. The verse 54. Then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, of course, it seems like they all intended to stay there for a while through the cool of the evening. Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. Remember, it was Peter who just drew a sword against another man, removing a body part. And now he sort of falls to the scrutiny of a servant girl. Look at verse 58. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour. Think of what's going through Peter's mind in that hour. He's settling in. He's warming himself by the fire. Perhaps, perhaps they they believed me. You know, I've given these two denials. He's waiting after an hour. Another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. After that third denial, two things happen. Look at verse 60, the second part. And immediately, while he was still speaking, what you just read, man, I do not know what you are talking about, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. The very thing Peter brashly said he would never do, he did. And within the exact time frame, Jesus predicted. Second, look at verse 61, a second thing happened. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. We're not told what that look was like, but the look reminded Peter of Jesus' prophecy about what he would do. I don't believe it was a stern look. I think it was a tender look of compassion as Peter continued to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, a phrase he would use in one of his letters later on. I know that the look did this, keep reading verse 61, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The sound of a rooster should have been so commonplace in that part of the world. As they prance around, just like they do on the streets in Africa, and they they work around, they always know how to find their way back. Uh, But it would have seemed so commonplace, except for the fact that Jesus said, You will deny me three times before that happens. One particular rooster marking and verifying a prophecy Jesus made. And what follows now is the pain of two men. First, Jesus would know a new level of personal rejection. The rejection of a true follower, of a friend, of someone who was still on the team, of someone who would then lead the church into the book of Acts. One of the two primary personalities of church history. Isaiah 53:3 that Jesus was despised and rejected by men, not just by Judas, but someone who should have never rejected him. And that's Peter. Peter also felt the sting of failure as he wept the bitter tears of regret. And here's what God is graciously doing. God is dismantling Peter's pride. It says that Peter wept bitterly but there's a difference between Judas and Peter Judas in John 17:12 is called the son of destruction there's a difference between wickedness Judas and weakness Peter wickedness receives the condemnation of the Lord as judge whereas weakness receives restoration and comfort we see that later on in the gospels yet both Judas and Peter highlight this beautiful truth Jesus willingly accepted rejection and shame so that sinners who place their faith in him can find full pardon and full acceptance. The last two groups we're going to move through quickly because they're not as personal to Jesus. Look at verse 63. He was also rejected by soldiers. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is that that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Almost too crass, too vulgar for Luke to even record. See, what we did learn from Peter's denial is that Jesus knew that Peter would deny him three times. He knew that would happen before it happened, which tells us what? That Jesus actually does know these soldiers by name, whether blindfolded or not. The soldiers are mocking a specific claim of Jesus. They're mocking his claim to be a prophet. In essence, they're saying, we reject you as the word of life, God's message in the form of his own son. That's why they're saying prophesy to us, prove to us that you're actually a real prophet. But here's good news for blasphemers. Jesus endured their rejection, couldn't he have simply said like one name? Or when he's totally blindfolded and hurt and a strong sucker punch comes down on the side of his temple, couldn't he have just called out that guy's full name? Or birthplace? Or children? And it might have stopped everything, but he didn't. Jesus endured their rejection and the shame of their blasphemy in order to save blasphemers. Matthew twelve thirty one says this, I tell you, this is Jesus saying this, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. He suffered dishonor so that we could share in honor with him, even though we have been like Paul, formerly a blasphemer. The soldiers highlight this gracious truth. Jesus willingly accepted rejection and shame so that sinners who place their faith in Him can find full pardon and full acceptance. Finally, it's not just Roman, Gentile, secular soldiers. It's the esteemed Jewish religious elite. Look at verse 66. And here's what we're going to find out. Being interested in Jesus is not the same as worshiping Him. Verse 66, When day came, The assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, if you're the Messiah, tell us. But Jesus said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. See, these men are willfully blind and Jesus calls them out on it right at the beginning. It doesn't matter even what the Son of God says to them. They will not believe. And this is what is happening. The established religious leadership is judging the eternal judge who will judge them one day. What they're doing is they're trying him about his claims of messiahship. If you're truly the Christ. But do you know that even the hardest of hearts cannot stop God's plan. Judas fulfilled prophecy. And now these men, even with a hard heart, are not hindering God's plan. I want you to see this. Look at verse 69. Rather than argue and debate with them, look at what Jesus says in verse 69. But from now on, he chooses another title. The Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. He specifically uses that title to indicate he is both the Christ and the Son of God. Now, the religious leaders, these studied theologians, will understand that is a term taken from Daniel chapter 7. And so they rightfully respond. Look at verse 70. So they all said, they knew exactly what that title meant. Are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And what follows is the crucifixion. And the religious leaders highlight this gracious, gracious truth through their blindness. And that is that Jesus willingly accepted rejection and shame so that sinners who place their faith in him can find full pardon and acceptance. And for our sake, there was another rejection. Luke doesn't record it. Two other Gospels do. I want you to hear Mark's account, which is really the eyewitness of Peter is what Mark is recording in Mark fifteen thirty-four. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you rejected me? Do you know the father had to reject the son because he took your sin upon his own body on the tree? He couldn't accept him yet. He was accepting him as a sin offered offering, the proof of that being his bodily resurrection. Jesus was rejected even by the father. So you don't have to be. John 1, 9, John records this, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Here you have creator God, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Where are you this morning in this list? Have you rejected Jesus from a hard heart, even though you are familiar with Him like Judas? Then for you, you need the warning that your ultimate rejection of Jesus will lead to your eternal destruction. The Father's ultimate rejection of you. Unlike Judas, for you, it's not too late. Or perhaps you've denied him through weakness. Your heart cries in bitter regret. You're a true believer, but you desire to know the restoration of sweet fellowship you once had like Peter. And what you need to hear is the Lord's voice reaffirming you through your repentance. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus offered those three affirmations to Peter publicly to restore him. Lord, you know that I love you. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Or perhaps in your heart you blaspheme Jesus like the soldiers. You esteem him as nothing. You joke about him. You certainly don't view him as a great prophet sent from the Father. And what you need to do this morning is consider the prophecies that have already been fulfilled. Even as Jesus is being rejected, prophecies are being fulfilled. Have you rejected the word of life and by default accepted death? For you, it's not too late. Or perhaps you are more like the religious elite, educated, respected, theological, religious, traditional, yet blind. And what you need to understand is that Christianity is not just another world religion with its do's and don'ts. It's about a person. And there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to find that out through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, whom he then knew as his Savior and Lord. John one twelve. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus was rejected, so you don't have to be. This table reminds us of that this morning. How you can be received through his death and his shed blood and then his bodily resurrection. Let's pray.